As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today on Rocketship, we have a very special treat for you. We talk with Austin Bales. He's a director of product design at Facebook. We talk to him all about how he makes product decisions, how he builds a product team, and even how he comes into existing product teams and builds trust. These are essential tools for any product manager, especially product managers working inside larger organizations. I can tell you now, this is a treat to talk to Austin. So. Stay tuned. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. Great. Um, and so tell me a bit about that director role. Um, what, what does it, what does your day to day generally look like? What are you overseeing? 
Um, well, today I, uh, I'm a design director on growth and specifically I support, uh, the, the core growth team, um, which helps grow, uh, Facebook's community and, uh, connect people to Facebook. Uh, so all of, I kind of think about it like the front door of Facebook, all of our like login and sign up and, um, our logged out experiences. We actually have a, a you know, uh, really big logged out presence for things like, places and interesting content for people to discover um and uh also uh what we call uh growth infrastructure which is basically all of the the tooling we need to uh to support growing facebook um and uh that includes things like our uh internal data tools uh, which we have design working on now kind of for the first time in the company's history which is a really cool and very different design problem than um, designing consumer experiences. And then also, uh, I support the, uh, design team for Facebook in Tel Aviv. Um, and they work across both areas and specifically work on, you know, one of their big areas is, uh, Facebook light, which is, a, a lightweight, very fast version, uh, of Facebook for, uh, what we call typical Android devices. So Android devices that are maybe typical in the rest of the world, but aren't the like high end today's models um, that, you know, some folks in the United States might, might have, or the Western world might have. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so let, let's get, talk about hiring a bit. Um, what do you look for when you're looking to, to build your team um, specifically for like a product manager or, or someone working on the product side? Um, well, uh, I've, I'm involved in product management hiring because product managers are really key partners to designers. Um, but I would say that I'm not the person who's deciding, um, you know, deciding on exactly who we should hire or, or what we're looking for out of a product manager. I obviously have my own opinions, but, um, you know, I generally focus on just hiring for uh, individual designers and uh, product design managers. Um, but when I, when we interview product managers, you know, I look for people who are going to be uh, great at building teams, who are going to um, be excellent partners to designers and data scientists and engineers, and who can excite the people they're working with, um, as well as people who are, you know, really great operators, meaning that they can uh, figure out how to manage a project, um, put together meetings and notes and decks and communicate, you know, the right way to the people on their team and their managers and stakeholders and um, I think operations is a uh, operations or project management is a tremendously important part of what a product manager uh, does. In addition to like the product work and the vision and figuring out what we're going to do, um, which is something that I think is you know, meant to be shared between all of the functions in a product team. And at Facebook, it's typical to have you know a product manager, a product designer, any number of engineers, a data scientist, um, a content strategist, a researcher. Um, in some areas, we also have, uh, growth marketers who, um, you know, help reach people, uh, out off Facebook, but also help us with, um, messaging and promoting features and reaching, reaching people on Facebook. So there's a lot of different, uh, points of view on a Facebook product team. And, uh, we really look to product managers to help organize uh, those points of view and make sure that everyone has a voice and that we're um, all working on the most important things. 
Very nice. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I appreciate the, the answer, um, even though it, it may not be your focus. Um, what is your process to approaching a new problem? Um, when, when Facebook gives you a, a new assignment, something that you may not be familiar with, what does your process look to, to determine what type of solution to pursue? Um, uh, well, I think it's always, it's important to start with understanding a problem. Um, and, uh, we actually have a, a framework that we use within growth and that I try to use personally, uh, understand, identify, execute. And that first step is understanding your goal and why it matters. And, uh, so at a high level, you want to understand, uh, for a given project, like, why is this even important for us to do? Um, is it important for us to do? And how does this project connect to Facebook's overall mission um, of you know bringing the world closer together? And you want to be able to 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 substantiate your project through data and through research and through uh, feedback from people, so that you know that you're working on something that really matters. Because you could do a, a really great job on a feature or project. But if it actually doesn't matter to the community and the mission, then you've sort of wasted your time. So the first step in any in building any project roadmap or getting involved in a project is to is to develop a deep understanding of your goal and, and why it matters. And um, this sort of happens recursively, right? Because a, a team will have a goal and the whole team or organization needs to understand their goal and why it matters and how it connects to Facebook's mission. And then when you start a project, you have to connect your project to um, to that team's goal so that, you know, uh, throughout the company, everything winds up connecting back to that same central, um, to same, same central mission. And how do you communicate that mission to the team? It, it, like, I, I know it comes from, you know, obviously from the CEO down. Um, but is that something that you have to remind the team of as you're working? Um, I, you know, ideally it's, Ideally, it's not on any one of us or any one manager or organizational leader to communicate the mission to the team. It's something we all own. Um, and in building roadmaps and planning projects together, we actually want the teams to be proposing their goals and their product ideas and their features idea, uh, you know, to to the to their peers, to the rest of the team. And to their managers and, and other stakeholders, including executives like Mark or Chris Cox, our chief product officer, or Javier, who leads growth. So, um, so Facebook is not a very Facebook is not a top-down environment. We have a um, you know a high-level mission and mandate, and um, then we try to use understanding and insights um, about our community and the way people use our products to determine what we're going to do. Um, We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, 
back to the show. You guys obviously have a, a wealth of data that that you have access to um, when making these product decisions. How do you integrate um, data into your design decisions and how do you let it influence um, the direction of the product? How it can influence the product in so many different ways. Um, in terms of how we integrate data, I actually think, so when we're talking about data, you're usually talking about raw data, right? Um, and that's why we have a great team of, uh, you know, data engineers who work with product teams to, uh, to uh, you know, measure and uh, measure how people are using the products. And then we have data scientists or data analysts who can take that raw data and extract insights from it. Because you don't want to just look at a chart of how people use something blindly. There's a lot of factors that go into how people use something or, or don't use something or how they move through a flow. And, um, you know, it's a science and a process to take to translate those you know, litany of numbers into something that um, uh, that has, a, you know, that's, that's a meaningful insight about the way people use our products. Um, so I, I think the first step of how we integrate data is that we rely on experts to uh, to give us insights from that data. And, um, you know, going back to understand, identify, execute, after you really understand your goal or problem space, and you often use data to, um, to demonstrate how your project or product, um, you know, impacts or affects the community, then we move to the second step, which is identify. Um, and uh, you know, identify the best ways to achieve your goal. And so often we use data to, to look for opportunities in a flow or to look for opportunities where we think like there's a clear need for, um, for a given product or a feature. And uh, today people aren't, uh, today people aren't having that need met. Or, um, you know, we know from research that people want to do X, Y, or Z thing, but yet it's not happening today. And um, so we use data in a more refined way to find places where people fall off or stop doing something or, um, or where they give us feedback that they're, you know, more or less interested in a specific feature. And, um, and we use that data to identify opportunities for us to take on in a given period of time, depending on what period of time your team plans work in. Um, and uh, so basically data is integrated at the high level because it's an important part of understanding um, why you're doing what you're doing at all. And then also uh, in the more project level uh, planning process where we use data to see if there's like specific design or product opportunities. And we rely on data scientists to help paint a picture of, of the, the landscape of the way the product works. Yeah. Have there been times when the, the data was telling you you didn't see what the data was necessarily telling you or or the interpretation of the data may have been slightly off um i'm just wondering if you had a, a product example where maybe the data was misread um yeah i mean i think there are so many different ways to to read data there i recall one time where um this was in a previous team uh we were working on the photo viewer and uh, and some other sort of improvements to the way comments work in newsfeed. And uh, at the time, our photo viewer had 
um, both a gesture, so you can swipe a photo away, which is commonplace in Facebook and, and a lot of other products um, in, in the ecosystem now. And it also had an explicit close button. And um, we were talking about how we would incorporate gestures in this new feature we were working on. And, you know, there was a group of people who were like, we need to go all in on gestures because it's the most natural and fast way to, to close this view, to close the comments view. Um, and then there was another group of people uh, equally passionate who said, you know, no one, no one can figure out a gesture. No one uses these gestures. And when we incorporated it in the photo viewer, no one used it. Um, and, um, and the counterpoint to that was like, well, people will figure it out. And there was kind of data that supported both arguments, but um, this was a time where actually I decided, okay, I'm going to look at the data myself. I'm going to see, I'm going to see, try to get a picture of this over time. And what we found was that both people, both groups of people were right. Um, at the beginning, people didn't know how to use it. Um, and so if we had relied only on gestures, um, at the beginning, people would be very confused uh, as to how to close a photo viewer, or in this new case, how to dismiss a comment view. Um, but it was also true that people found out how to do this over time. And that when people found out how to do this, they were much more likely to close the view uh, you know, by swiping away than they were to use the button, because I think, you know, the, the point of view that it's more natural and fast is also is also accurate. Um, and so rather than uh, rather than say we're going to go all in on the button um, and the, the gestures don't matter or we're going to go all in on the gesture and people need to figure it out. We actually you know did both just like we, we wound up doing with the photo viewer. And that way we can provide a really obvious signifier and affordance for, for an important thing, which is like getting out of where you are now. This is on iOS where we don't have the, the Android back button. Um, but we can also provide this gesture, which, you know, it, it, we feel and, 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 uh, and is a great experience and that we're also confident people can learn in the long run or many people can learn in the, in the long run. Um, and so I think they're using the data helped us, you know, take a center path. Um, and also acknowledge that, uh, you know, that there are that those two points of view are, are right. Um, so that was a, that was an interesting time where um, where the data could have been misleading. I think there's also been um, there's also been like a number of examples of, from, from my time on my last team where um, where it's difficult to it's difficult to judge if a change we're making is going to be uh, meaningful in the long term, or if it's just meaningful in the short term, and um, and that can lead to a lot of debates. You know, like if even if it's something small, like we want to change a change an icon, um, you know, in the header of a of a view in Messenger, for example, and um, maybe the new icon, you know, attracts you know more use today. But the designers sort of feel, oh, well, it's just because it's new or it's not actually communicating something uh, significant and different. And um, and again, we could take a very principled um, and, and, and firm uh, look at this and say, you know, this isn't the right icon. We're not going to do it. Um, or, you know, we see from the data that, that this leads to more people um, being interested in this feature. And so we absolutely have to need to do it. And at Facebook, we, you know, we, we try to, we try to take the center path, which is like, well, let's, let's test this change. 
And even if we decide to to launch this change, um, we'll keep a small group of people in the previous version of the experience for uh, you know an extended period of time, so that we can so we can validate if this is something that um, if this is something that truly matters, or if it was just a if if there was a lot of novelty bias at work. Um, and and when we do this, we don't just look at like how many times someone might engage with a given feature. We actually look at or a given button or view. We actually look at how it affects their experience on the product overall. Um, because again, we're not just the the work we're doing is not just about having people like take a small specific action. We really care about um, you know why this is important to um, to a higher level goal or mission. Um, so in Messenger, it's like we want to you know help people communicate every day and so people could use a feature a little bit more in the short term but if we don't see in the long term that it's helping people more people communicate every day then then maybe it's not a meaningful change maybe we should um, revisit it so um so there's there's plenty of opportunities where you could let short-term data or uh looking at data in too narrow uh fashion mislead you um, and I think that we've been pretty good at eventually getting to the right place in, in all of these things. It doesn't mean there aren't like disagreements or conflicts along the way between these points of view. Um, but it's great to see that. And I think this is, you know, partially due to having such a great uh, data science team um, that in the long run, we we make corrections and um, and do what's right for people using the products. Absolutely. Uh, those are fantastic examples. Thanks for for sharing them. It, it helps to kind of understand, right. Um, how data can be used, which is, is, is great. Um, I'm wondering what's, what's one of the, the tougher challenges that you've been tasked with taking on, um, or t- tougher problems that, that you've been tasked with taking on at, at Facebook and how did you approach it? Um, I think I can answer that question in different ways from projects like design problems that I've worked on um, to uh, more team or management problems that I've worked on. That's a good point. Yeah. No, let's let's take it from a a design problem. Okay. Um, Well, I happen to be working now in an area that's very similar to um, to the area that I worked on when I first joined Facebook. Um, and, uh, I was working on sort of new user experiences, um, and I worked briefly on, uh, the controls and features that allow people to, you know, send friend requests and see people they may know. And then afterwards I worked on designing the new user experience and sort of like setup flow for messenger. And I went into that, you know, maybe with startup or agency experience kind of thinking like, oh, this is going to be really easy, right? It's just a bunch of screens. We're going to collect some some required information, ask people to t- turn on push notifications, and then we're going to get into the product. And um and you know, so why is this my why is this my full-time project? Or why is everyone saying it's going to take so long? And uh that turned out to be a really challenging design problem because there were a lot of requirements that my previous experience hadn't um you know hadn't prompted me to think about. Um, First, there were things that seemed simple, like um, push notifications um, or confirming your phone number that I hadn't thought about at this scale because 
you know, messenger is a, uh, messenger is like a mobile texting product or at base was a mobile texting product. And so it really mattered that, um, you, you know, that you can reach people instantly and you know, that you're going to, that someone will be notified and they, they know that you'll be notified. So, uh, unlike a product that you know, previous products I'd worked on, that was like a pivotal moment. Um, and we really need to ex- explain the value of a simple thing like turning on notifications uh, really quickly. And we also know that we won't, you know, it's hard to get a second chance because once someone says no to that permission dialogue, you know, you have to say, well, if you actually want this, then you have to go to your settings and tap here and tap there. And at the time, you couldn't even jump some- someone to that view. Um, and, uh, and so that was a difficult design problem. And it also meant like working deeply with content strategy, which I hadn't, um, hadn't done a lot of, at, at, you know, a startup or an agency. And Interesting, then, yeah. and then there was more complexity and, you know, you want to ask for people's phone numbers so that you can type in a phone number and, and reach someone, um, because that's, you know, how a lot of people are used to. Uh, to texting each other from SMS and iMessage and WhatsApp, and we knew that that was important. Um, but uh, but we needed to to explain that to people in a uh, clear and concise way. But at the same time, we also needed to explain. We also needed to provide some legally required uh, notices that say, you know, if you do this, then someone's going to be able to type your phone number in and find you on Messenger, so they can message you. And um, in this case, there was like specific language that, um, you know, the legal team was like, this is exactly how we think you should say it. Um, it has, this has to be clear and prominent. And then the content strategists and the design team were like, well, will people really understand if we use those, that exact language? Will they get the value? Um, and so we wound up spending, you know, weeks just working on that screen because it meant because it getting to a place where we found something that um, met all of the requirements and communicated clear to people meant that we had to, uh, you know, user test a number of flows and show the results of those user tests to stakeholders for policy and legal and the product team um, and content strategy. And we had to um, constantly refine those to, to get to a place where we felt like, you know, we're doing what's required by, um, policy and we're doing the right thing for people. And also, um, the most important thing in my mind is that when we talk to people, you know, in a research session, they really do understand what this is and why we're asking for it. Um, and so that, that was a complex design problem that I hadn't anticipated. Um, and then the, the final thing on that, that, that made it complicated in a way I had never experienced before was that Facebook targets, like, every kind of device, every screen size of Android, every version, you know, so many past versions of iOS and Android at the time um, across, you know, two platforms. And so every screen that I designed had to be fully responsive to device size, but also whether or not you had a physical keyboard, because that was still a thing at the time, um, or an Android keyboard, an iOS keyboard, uh, different screen orientations, and sizes and dimensions. And so trying to figure out how to just specify a screen across such a range of, of sizes was, was really difficult. And I think it was difficult for the engineers to implement too. And I, at a startup, you know, I, I worked at the startup owned by Salesforce previously, and we did like task and project management. 
um, apps and software, we could kind of rely on like oh, our user base is mostly going to use this or that device. Um, and because their company is going to use it, if they have to scroll or some, they have to kind of put a little more thought in figuring out how to get through the sign-in flow or login flow, it's probably okay because, um, you know, because there's other people bought in and because you know, the audience is more, um, the audience is more uniform. So uh, this was hard just because this was hard on so many levels, stakeholders and, and, and also designing for scale um, and diversity of audience that I hadn't experienced before. So that was a very, that was a very tough uh, design problem I worked on early on at Facebook. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. And it, it's a really, well, it's a really unique challenge to a company at scale too, right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting to hear about. I'd love to hear from the management perspective, how you would answer that, that question as well. Um, I think there've been a couple things that have been challenging. One is, um, well, the, the most recent one is that when, you know, when I moved from messenger where I was before leading design for that team to my current team, um, you know, unlike my time on messenger where I had to take a small design team that I worked directly with all the designers and was deeply involved in their work and all of their meetings um, and worked directly with their PMs. And, and I hired managers. So we were able to grow our team sort of organically um, and we grew together. So I had close relationships with everyone. When I moved to a new team and started managing this group of managers, they were already, um, you know, they were already comfortable with their roles. They'd been doing it for a while. Everyone was doing an amazing job and all the teams were very healthy. Um, and, and I didn't have those like deep like, pre-existing relationships, you know, I hadn't worked with all those designers. I hadn't seen those designers become managers themselves. And so figuring out how to join a team as a, you know, as a team leader and support those people was, uh, was challenging. I think maybe still is challenging, um, because you want to bring your expertise and your past experience from the other teams I've managed at Facebook. Um, but you also want to respect that they have a, a great thing going, that they have um, their own strengths and that there'll be different people from, from managers you've worked with in the past. And it's a different group with different goals and maybe a different approach to product development um, uh, and, and design. So uh, that's, been, that's been kind of challenging. And uh, it has been great to, over the past six or eight months see the relationships between the people I work with deepen and I think we feel more comfortable with each other. Um, and as that happens, I also feel more comfortable uh, bringing my opinions on the way we should run our team and the way we should do design work um, into the into the fold. So what are some of the ways that you began to build those relationships or, or build that, that trust so you could have an honest conversation? Um, well, I think like the general advice is to start with getting to know people um, and getting to understand um, their strengths and the, the work that they like to do, um, understanding the things that they, they like to avoid um, understanding the way that things worked in the past and withholding your judgment or evaluation 
um, of those of all of those things. Um, and so that's kind of like how you can connect at a, at a personal level. But I actually think that to build like a trusting relationship, um, it maybe takes working through something complicated or um, encountering some sort of friction or adversity together, right? Like a shared experience. If everything's just going going well all the time, what is the substance for, you know, what, what substance are you going to discuss? You can talk about how someone might want to grow um, and be proactive um, and working with them on that or finding new opportunities for someone. Um, one thing that I did was one thing I do, what I do for the growth team is, um, is help with recruiting designers and design managers. So that's kind of a value that I can add early on to that team. Um, I also have been at Facebook for a while and I've worked with a lot of different product teams like Newsfeed and Messenger. And, um, so another thing I tried to provide was connections to some of those people I know. know and I can use my time to talk, talk with them um, and understand perspectives from other teams. So, so those are some of the things that I emphasized earlier on um, where I could just kind of provide additional value without thinking about um, changing or challenging or doing something different. Um, and yeah. as we've had shared experiences and as we've encountered things like, well, now our team's growing because our teams at Facebook grow and, you know, we're, we're gearing up for 2018 and we're going to do even more next year. Um, things like our critique process has come up. Um, design critiques are, you know, an essential, an essential way that a component of the way that designers work and get, uh, formative feedback from peers and, uh, critical feedback from peers. And as your team goes from, you know, four to eight and then eight to 12 and 12 to 18, um, the structures you use to facilitate design critique and the groups and uh, the size of the room and the cadence, all of these things, um, you know, naturally, naturally need to change. And so something my whole team has worked on together recently is understanding how critique design critique is working for us. Um, does it feel useful to the designers? Is it something they value? Um, are they, do they feel comfortable sharing? Do they feel um, comfortable sharing at every stage of the process? And, you know, we had, we had to work with a designer on our team who used to be a researcher to run a survey. And we used that information to, um, put together a plan of how we were going to just like iterate on our design process together. And so that's been a great thing to do with, um, you know, the two managers on my team in Menlo Park and this designer and the whole team. And I think there'll be more and more of those opportunities to do you know, new things together or make changes to the way our team works as our team evolves. But I think it would have been, um, you know, I had instincts about where I, where I thought this should go when I first joined the team, for example. Um, and I think it probably would have been a mistake to try to make those changes immediately because we hadn't had that history together and because the opportunity, opportunity hadn't presented itself organically. Um, and, you know, maybe it took six months for this opportunity to present itself. Uh, but now it has, and I think we're all excited about, you know, what we've decided on doing together. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
patience is a virtue sometimes, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? Like waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah. I, I know it's really tough when you're a, a manager, you move in, you want to kind of figure out where you fit, but I love the the patience and and letting the opportunities come up to where you can be useful instead of trying to force yourself into a useful position. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so. that can be that can almost create anxiety because you you want to know that you're being useful and you want to be useful, you know, as soon as you can. Um yeah. and uh but having patience there and and learning the right ways and how people want you to be useful is important. It it's a bit of your own self-worth too, right? On the line. Yeah. Um but I I guess being confident in in your own capability allows you to, to have that, that patience, I would imagine. Yeah. I think that's yeah. true. So, well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. Um, where can people keep up with you on online? Um, you know, I, it's funny. I feel like I, in the past, I've been more active online. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I, you know, I still I post on Facebook and I've um, uh, and I'm active on Twitter though I'm taking a break from the Twitter app. I'm AR Bales on Twitter, um, and uh, I've written some stuff on Medium, one about design hiring. But um, I've been really focused on you know the the work that I do at Facebook and and my team, and also. Uh, you know, my friends and family for the past couple of years. But uh, if you're interested, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and all those places. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate talking with you today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss future episodes in this series. And if you like today's episode, tell a friend. Or two friends, or a lot of friends. We would love it. And if when you, you can, go to rocketship.fm and scroll all the way down and leave your email with us. We'll let you know about upcoming episodes, but we'll also get you in on a Slack channel with thousands of other product people and all sorts of other good stuff that we know you'll be interested in. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review. Um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple of days.